This week on the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast, we are going to be starting the second round of the Rail Splitter Book Club, and we need your help. Podcast. My name is Rail Splitter Jeremy. With me today are Rail Splitter Nick. What's going on, people out there listening to us on the great listening apps? And Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Splitters. So uh, this week we are going to be talking about a couple different Lincoln books, which is a topic that we frequent here on the show. But the purpose of this conversation today is to give you all a little bit of information about the books we may be using for our upcoming book club two. Uh, last time we uh, chose to talk about David Kent's uh, biography on Lincoln. Uh, just want to make sure I get the title correct. I believe it was Lincoln. What was the subtitle of that one? Help me out. The Man Who Saved America. The Man Who Saved America, what a great title. How could I forget that? Uh, Lincoln, The Man Who Saved America uh, was the book we did last time. This time we're going to crowdsource the choosing of the Lincoln Book Club book uh, by asking you all to vote through a, probably a Twitter poll is probably gonna be the best way to do it. Although we may have, uh, if you don't have Twitter, perhaps you can reach out to us otherwise and we'll count your vote. That way, you know, absentee ballot, if you will. Uh, before we get to that, uh, we do like to talk about Abraham Lincoln being in the news. A couple episodes ago, we talked about quite a lot of news going on at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. That story seems to be sticking around. I've had people uh, ask me about it who are not uh, Lincoln folks necessarily, who just kind of are up on the news and uh, mentioned to me like, hey, you know, I hear there's an opening at the <laughs> library and museum. Uh, so that story, it seems, as is bordering on at least going mainstream. Uh, and it sounds like it's not yet going away. Uh, has there been any other news stories that either one of you have picked up on in the Lincoln world uh, since we last recorded? Well, playing off that whole Lincoln hat controversy, it's actually leaked its way into Illinois politics uh, because... You have a race um, where um, U.S. Representative Rodney Davis from Taylorville, he's being challenged by a Democrat, and the Democrat is a lobbyist for the foundation. So he's demanding to know what she knew, when she knew it, and, and everything she knew. So uh, the Democrats, Betsy Dirksen Lundgren, um, so... Yeah, so it's even uh, leaked into the current uh, political season here. So, once again, just showing you that story is not going away at all. No, and they're doing quite a lot to clarify, like, who the um, who the foundation is, how they're affiliated. Um, I, I think the statement that the foundation released was that the foundation uh, exists for the museum, not the other way around. It's, like, the main funding source, so... It's, you know, it's weird how there's 
people are trying to distance themselves from the controversy, but tie themselves to the good work that the museum's doing, which is quite a lot of good work. Um, and it's and it, it oddly keeps coming down to this hat and that DNA test, which is just so strange to me that, you know, it's a weird episode and it's obviously a very important artifact, but I feel like uh, the job and the foundation is so much bigger than that. Um, and really a key is this $9.7 million you need to come up with. I was hopeful, Nick, when you said that there was a tie to Illinois politics, that it would have come back to the fact that we literally have two billionaires, two literal billionaires <laughs> running to be governor. Why can't you just one of you or, or the two of you just split it in half? Like, you know what? The foundation's important. You know, I got $9.7 million in my pocket. Here you go. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, it'd be, uh, you know, it'd be good. It'd be cool if it did. I have another news story that I literally just saw as I Googled this in my top-notch research that I do for the show every once in a while. Um, Variety has an article, NBC to develop a drama series based on a character from Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Um, So basically, uh, you have... I was just reading here. It's not as exciting as it sounds. I was getting kind of like super stoked. Mm -hmm. But... It will follow Abby, a young analyst, as she's recruited into a special division of the FBI that investigates unique and mysterious cases. While working on her first case, tracking a string of bizarre murders, she discovers her new partner also happens to be a five-year-old vampire. Five-year-old vampire. That makes a lot more sense. 500-year-old vampire. Oh, yeah. Is that right from the Vampire Slayer, or am I butchering it? I'm sorry, you broke up there just for a second. Can you repeat that? I'm thinking you're talking, it must be about Henry Sturgis, who was the one that, um, yes. yeah, that because he was about, yeah, if he were around today, it'd be 500. So based on that headline going in there, I'm assuming that's the character they're talking about. So yeah. will Abraham Lincoln himself play a role? Who knows? But probably not. Yeah, maybe they might bring uh, Grail and Poe in because he was in the um, in the book, but not in the movie. So there is a sequel. There is a sequel to Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter called The Last American Vampire, but um, I don't recommend reading it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not not as good. Yeah, and a guy who originally wrote the novels attached to it. So Mm, Seth Graham Smith. But he also is attached to the movie, and that didn't go so well. So hopefully he gets uh, – hopefully this goes better for him, though. I really enjoy the book, as we've talked about several times on here. I did, too. I actually have uh, the uh, audio book checked out from the library right now to listen to because it's been a while since I've read it. So I thought, well, I'll give the audio book a try. Yeah, I, uh, I'm into audio as well, and that's definitely an option for the uh, book club if that's something that – uh, we um, would like to check out uh, as an option. Um, so uh, any other news stories before we get to our suggestions or our options, I guess, for the round two of the Abraham Lincoln Rail Splitter Podcast Book Club? Uh, you had a birthday. How'd it go, man? Oh, thank you. Uh, Happy great. birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was very nice. Had a day off school for Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, yeah, it was. I spent lots and lots of time with my family, which was all I wanted to do. 
So yeah, it was great. We went up to Madison for the day on Saturday. Uh, went to the Wisconsin State Capitol, which is the 13th Capitol building that my kids have gone to. They were kind of into that on our road trips. Uh, so they've been to 13 capitals just in the last two years. And then, uh, so we took it, checked, checked out the Capitol, went to the zoo. Uh, very cool. I had a nice dinner. So yeah, very nice birthday weekend. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks for the messages, Rail Splitters. Appreciate no it. So, but yeah, that's, I suppose that's Rail Splitter news-ish. Did you get any linking gifts? I did not. Uh, yes, I did. I got one card um attached to a gift card um that was had abraham lincoln on it. and uh, indirectly i did get something from uh, kentucky we did a tour during our summer vacation slash road trip and went through the louisville slugger museum which is a cool tour and i got a personalized bat from there for my birthday now so now everybody in my family's got a like personalized louisville slugger bat which is pretty cool so not Lincoln, but Kentucky. So, you know, kind of. Yeah, hell yeah. That's a connection. Yeah, yeah, pretty exciting. So anyway, thanks. So for the uh, Rail Splitter Book Club, uh, we've each brought one selection. Uh, we didn't talk beforehand, so hopefully we maybe we came up with the same one. Who knows? That wouldn't be a bad thing necessarily. Uh, and then we'll have you all select what we do for the book club. Uh, just uh, as a reminder, <clears throat> we... Usually, or what we did last time was we broke the book up into thirds, which is probably what we'll do this time. And we had a book club episode once a month or so, maybe once every five weeks. Um, depending on the length of the book we end up selecting, we may break it up into four, we may break it up into two, who knows. Um, you don't have to read it to enjoy those episodes, um, but we do like, you know, we would like to encourage you to read along with us. Uh, last time we were lucky enough to have the author come on the show. Um, we may get an opportunity to do that this time. We may not. It kind of depends on that particular writer's availability and, you know, who knows? Maybe if, if one of you suggests Carl Sandberg, we probably won't be able to get him on the show because uh, <laughs> that takes some serious technology. Um, but who knows? We'll, we'll give it a shot. So maybe uh, the writer will also join us uh, for an episode of the Rail Splitter podcast as well. So uh, we've each brought a book to talk about today. Who would like to talk first? And this, please don't misunderstand this Rail Splitter Nation. This is not a competition. Like we didn't, uh, this, this episode idea was actually Nick's. He didn't say like, believe it or not, Nick, everyone's favorite Rail Splitter did not claim to, uh, did not challenge Mary and I to, you know, come up with a better choice or anything. Uh, it's more of us just kind of sharing the work of finding a good uh, rail splitter book and uh, bringing it forward for everyone else to select. So please don't think that, uh, you know, if you're choosing one of our books, you're not choosing, you're choosing us over the others or whatever. We all know who everybody's favorite rail splitter is. Rail splitter Nick, we've established that uh, self, self-proclaimed favorite rail splitter. Uh, so like I said, not a competition. We're just trying to bring up ideas here. Um, and of course, I 100% agree it is definitely a competition and yeah, no, i'm just joking i, I do not really <laughs> view it that way at all i i felt like it'd be nice to give our listeners some options so i thought we could each bring and i'm sure we'll probably have different books and then that provide our listeners to um participate in the decision of this as well so um kind of yeah and uh you all 
Yeah, and a nice side benefit will be you'll have three books that you'll know a little bit about and could perhaps read and let us know. Um, and they may come down the road as another uh, book club selection. We, you know, we did the last one. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it was a while ago. Um, so we'll do this once or twice a year um, and go from there. So uh, who would like to talk about their book first? I think Nick should, because he suggested it. <laughs> That's a great idea. I agree with that. That's there's our first, there's our first vote of the voting episode. I think we should read Ron Burling Games so we can get 27 episodes out of it. Uh, no, I did not go that way. It's Michael Burling. Michael Burling Games. Dang it. <laughs> you mixed him up with Ron White, Ronald White. Uh, so oh, I shouldn't probably go with the C-word one now. Um, actually, I kind of <laughs> went outside the box on this a little bit. Um, I've been very fascinated. You, you've been seeing this a lot in the news. I know there was a documentary that came out where this whole, like, the Republican Party history versus Democratic Party history, you know, who has ownership to what, um, you know, who's to be blamed for, you know, uh, some of history's mistakes in the past. Uh, especially when it comes to racism, uh, civil war, slavery, um, things like that. So it's been something I've been thinking about a while. Um, kind of, you know, kind of falls in line uh, who has claim over Abraham Lincoln. I, I don't think anybody does, but I think both parties try to take claim. Um, so there's a book out there. So this isn't technically dealing with Lincoln 100%, but it's dealing with a gentleman who's popped up on the show. And I believe we talked about him last episode. And it's a book called Lincoln's Pathfinder, John C. Fremont, and the Violent Election of 1856. So I thought this could be, it's gotten a lot of good uh, pub out there. It's a newer book that came out, written by John uh, Bicknell. Um, and I think it'd just be interesting to read it, kind of see where the Republican Party started. So Fremont being the first Republican presidential candidate. And then I think maybe it could help lay the foundation for a conversation um, which we've talked about doing is kind of the evolution of the Republican Party um, and kind of Lincoln and kind of where he fits and all that. So I thought maybe this could be an interesting book to start with, um, you know, kind of laying a foundation to what eventually Lincoln will take and run on his way to the White House. Um, so that was my thought process. Plus, I've been wanting to read it. Um, so and I think it could be an interesting read. So. I guess maybe I cheated a little bit. I don't know. Um, but that is what I came up with. And that's kind of the reasoning behind it. So, and it's not a biography on Fremont. It's really a focus on the rise of the Republican Party, that 1856 election, how Fremont played a role in it, and how it kind of slept the platform that Lincoln will use in 1860. So, um, just to provide a little bit more background with that. Thoughts? I think that's a really great choice. And it's funny, I was in Barnes and Noble about two weeks ago and I was eyeing up some books and this is one of the ones I almost bought. Um, I've been wanting to read it for a while too. And I think and it, 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 even though it's not about Lincoln, I think it will help us understand more about him and when he ran for president in the 1860 election. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's cheating at all. I think it fits right in, um, especially since we, you know, last book club was a Lincoln biography. So um, 
when I kind of approached this, anything in the Lincoln slash Civil War world, I thought was on the table. So I think you're totally fine. Um, I also um, am excited about this choice because I don't know nearly as much as I should about Fremont or really the uh, election in 1856. Uh, the title, I'm curious about it. I wonder if it's you know, if that's a publisher nudge toward like, hey, people want to read about Lincoln <laughs> or, you know, because uh, bringing him into the into the title suggests that one of the thesis theses of the work is going to be creating an argument that Fremont started the road that Lincoln ended up going down. Like, had it not been for Fremont doing what he did in 1856, we would not have had Lincoln in 1860, which I think there's a lot there. I don't know enough about Fremont um, to talk to it really well, which is why I think this is a good idea for a book. Um, and I think when we were talking last uh, last week about the 1864 election, we were talking a little bit about Fremont and I was kind of feeling like, man, I, I really wish I knew a little bit more. Um, and I think his conflict with Lincoln in the Civil War on the frontier sometimes overshadows perhaps what he did in 1856. So I think this is definitely a rich topic. Um, and I really, I like the subtitle as well, John C. Fremont and the Violent Election of 1856. It's an interesting choice of words, violent election. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out and what that really means uh, um, and how that's gonna work. And I think that there's a lot to do with Kansas and Nebraska and the crossroads there. And um, you'll pro we'll probably also learn a little bit if we end up with this book about you know, how we end up with James Buchanan, who was was a pretty ineffectual um, dis disaster of a president, frankly. Um, and also, and, you know, it's I think he's kind of an enigma as well for a lot of folks, like trying to learn how that, how he worked out, how, that, how he became the president and how his career path went. So for those of you who are thinking about this book uh, for um, the, I'm looking this up right now and I'm worried I just hit the one click feature in Amazon. I don't think I did. You ever see that? Like the buy with one oh, click? I've done like, that not what I intended to do. <laughs> I don't think I did though. So um, so right now the Kindle version is $17. Hardcover, you can get it for $18, which is really interesting that those two prices are so close because they're really not quite that close. Um, it is available on audio as well from Audible. You can get it if you're an Audible member, obviously for a credit or it's $21. For the audio version, it's 352 pages, uh, which I think is good for a book club type selection. I think, you know, that's right right in that uh, sweet spot where it's not too short, not too long. Um, and it's an interesting read. So John Bicknell is the writer. He wrote America 1844. Um, so that uh, isn't it? Seems like a pretty random year, so that that's a book also kind of jumps out at me as possibly interesting as well. So, um, so that's Lincoln's Pathfinder, uh, John C. Fremont and the Violent Election of 1856 will be option number one on our um, choices. If you don't, what's pick option this, number two going to be, Mary? If you don't pick this, you might as well quit listening because I don't like you. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay, option number two is Lincoln's Greatest Speech by Ronald C. White Jr., which is about Lincoln's second inaugural. And I picked it because I've enjoyed uh, the other two books I've read by, uh, um, by White, American Ulysses, which is a biography about General Grant, 
and a Lincoln, which is obviously um, a biography about Lincoln, and it's probably my favorite uh, one volume bio about him. Uh, Ronald C. White also wrote um, An Eloquent President, a portrait of Lincoln through his words, and he's currently working on another biography about Lincoln called Lincoln's Diary, due out in 2020, and also a bio about Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain of Little Round Top fame, uh, due out in 2021. Um, so the reason I picked this book is because um, just based on the other works by um, White that I've read, he's a very eloquent and engaging writer, and he pulls you into whoever or whatever he's writing about. And it's one of the, he's one of those authors where you're like, oh, I'll just read one more chapter. And before you know it, it's two in the morning and, you know, you've read through half the book. And I think because of that, his writing style would appeal to many people. And he creates very humanizing portrayals of um, the people he writes about. And so this book is a little bit older. It's published in 2002. Um, it's 255 pages, and that includes the index, bibliography, acknowledgments. And it's nine chapters plus an epilogue. And as I said, this book appealed to me because I've enjoyed his other books. He's an engaging writer and I'm a bit biased. This is one of my favorite speeches of Lincoln's. It's one that um, I do think about quite a bit, you know, in, in everyday life when I'm going about, you know, if I'm in a tough situation, the words with malice toward none come to me. Um, and just the description of the book um, on the inside jacket, Lincoln offered a moral framework for peace and reconciliation. The speech was greeted with indifference, misunderstanding, and hostility by, by many in the Union, but it was a great work, the victorious culmination of Lincoln's own lifelong struggle with the issue of slavery, and he well understood it to be his most profound speech. Eventually, this with malice toward none address would be accepted and revered as one of the greatest of the nation's history. And I just thought with that, and we often speak of the speech on the show, um, and we also talk of Lincoln's evolving attitude towards slavery and his personal growth. And I thought that this book would help us all understand him and this speech a little bit better. And that's why I chose it. Like it. Good choice. Yeah, I, guess, yeah, I do too. Uh, very good choice. Um, that's my favorite speech of Lincoln's as well. Um, I too am very comforted at times of trouble by, by with Miles Thornton and with Terry Farrell. That's how we obviously end all of our episodes of the show here. Um, I, uh, I also enjoy uh, White's work. Uh, I read his uh, A. Lincoln and found that to be a very, very good, good read, good book. Um, so yeah, I, I think this could be, could be good as well. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it'd be a great book for sure. I think definitely, like uh, Mary said, we definitely talk about the evolution of Lincoln and this kind of is the, that final chapter in there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, damn, damn, good choice. Can't mm -hmm. go wrong with Ronald White either. So um, I'm really interested in that Joshua Chamberlain biography that's coming out. That you I am see. too. So I find him fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, he's got kind of a, He's got a really rich uh, Civil War history beyond Little Round Top. And, he does. Uh, that he saw us there. So, um, yeah, no, but I think it's a great pick. Thank you. And I, I just thought, too, that the speech is just so timeless and so much of it can apply to today. And it would just, 
help us get to know Lincoln a little bit better. It'd be nice to have a speech like that today. <laughs> Would. Yep. And uh, so, Mary, I know you talked a little bit about the particulars, but for those of you who are looking to be informed voters, you're looking at 256 pages. Uh, for this one, you can buy it new on Amazon Prime or hopefully at your locally owned bookstore. I forgot to put that shout out in there, Mary. I apologize. Okay. Ideally, you would buy these books at your locally owned bookstores. <laughs> um, but in if you can't, uh, they're available on Prime for uh, Amazon Prime for $13.99. Um, and I don't know if this one, uh, it is available uh, on audio for $11.95, which is actually a pretty good deal for an audio book um, as well. Th uh, hardcover is 30 bucks. It looks like Kindle version $12.99, if that's your bag. So Lincoln's Greatest Speech, the second inaugural by Ronald C. White will be option number two. The book that I brought for uh, to put up for selection is a newer book. I tried to, uh, the the strategy strategy whatever the process I took was to just try to find a new the new that's out that folks may be talking about. Um, not necessarily um, kind of an old standby or that I've kind of gone to in the past but just a newer just to kind of check it out and it looks like the newest one that's gaining some traction uh, that a lot of folks um, are reading uh, and that is uh, selling in high numbers is Lincoln's Last Trial. Uh, this is a book by Dan Abrams and David Fisher. Uh, Lincoln's Last Trial, the murder case that propelled him to the presidency. Uh, so it's pretty strongly uh, reviewed book that focuses in specifically on um, a high-profile murder case that Lincoln uh, was the defense attorney for right before he was the president. So this was in, I believe, in 1859. Uh, so interesting juxtaposition of where Lincoln is just at the end of his Springfield years, right on the dawn of his presidency, or at least his presidential election. Um, and the claim, at least by the title and what I've read on the kind of the inside of the jacket kind of synopsis is that uh, they're claiming that trial did a lot to shape uh, who Lincoln ended up becoming as president. Um, so there's that side of it. I think the other side of the book is like it kind of takes you through an interesting murder trial. So there's kind of like a little mystery courtroom drama, law and order kind of feel to it as well and to try to get uh, a little bit of an idea for what what was Lincoln like as a as a defense attorney I don't know if there's a whole lot written about him in actual trials uh, there's quite a lot written about him uh, riding the circuit so to speak where he would be on horseback going all over Illinois like representing people in contract disputes and you know handling dozens of cases you know in a few days while the court was open, um, kind of that old school style of practicing law where they traveled to the courts and didn't do much work between cases and just kind of represented people. Um, you hear a lot about Lincoln's career doing that work, uh, not a lot about him doing uh, specific cases. Uh, the thing that kind of jumped out at me about the research behind this is that the transcript, there's an actual transcript for the entire trial that somebody obviously took down by hand that was not discovered until 1989. So the record of this trial was actually not not 
around. And it's, I think, fairly rare for this to exist where we know word for word what Lincoln said at trial as the defense attorney uh, because there was a stenographer there. So um, from what the reviews are saying, the, the, the writing kind of makes it a compelling drama while also talking about this point of making it um, something that propelled him to the presidency and shaped, his, shaped him in a way or at least influenced him in a way. Uh, that is that it makes it compelling enough for for a book um, so that's what I chose any uh, comments on that I think that is an excellent choice and that was actually I was deciding between it and uh, Ronald White's book it was my second choice um, I bought it the day it was released I ordered it because um, it just it appealed to me because I don't really know as much about Lincoln as a lawyer. And I thought, well, I can learn something about him through reading about this last trial he did. And his law career, honestly, has been something that I've kind of, and I want to look more at, you know, his time in the Civil War, like during the presidency, more than I do him as a lawyer. But I'd like to get him, get to know him a little bit better. And I, I think that this book would do that. And just, you know, the fact that there's the transcript too, which is, really awesome and just how recent it is as well so I think excellent choice yeah I agree I think it's a very interesting unique angle to look at Lincoln um you know what you kind of have to do with the new biographies you got to have some type of newer approach angle the fact that that transcript was recently discovered um, as far as in history terms um so yeah I think it's a great selection for sure so and I also, it's been on my radar as well, so I don't quite have it yet. Um, but whether it's picked or not, it's definitely one that is on my list to read. And I hope to get done before the year's out. Cool. So uh, Lincoln's Last Trial, 320 pages, written by Dan Abrams and David Fisher. Uh, you can get it on your Kindle for $12.99 uh, or through Amazon Prime or your hopefully your locally owned bookstore, like I said before, uh, for $13.50. Paperback's about $10. Bucks. Um, so uh, it is also available in audio if uh, that's something you're interested in for uh, about $20 bucks, um, through Audible. So that is Lincoln's Last Trial. So once again, to recap, uh, the first book is... Uh, Lincoln's Pathfinder, John C. Fremont and the Violent Election of 1856. The second choice is Lincoln's Greatest Speech, the second inaugural, and the third choice is Lincoln's Last Trial. Uh, this, unlike many of our other elections, does not seem like there's a wrong choice. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the votes go. Um, please vote, even if you don't really plan on reading the book, if you plan on listening to the shows and want to hear more about the books, um, go ahead and vote, um, you know, vote Chicago style if you want early and often. I don't care. We just want to get some feedback uh, from you all in Rail Splitter Nation over what to read. Uh, question for you. I came with I, I came with two because I thought some, one of you might have brought. That's why I went, I went last purposely uh, or intentionally because I thought one of you might have selected the same book as I did. Um, did. Did either of you have a backup that you wanted to? Not put on the ballot, but at least just mention. Uh, I did. I got to look up the exact title, though. And these might be like uh, um, hints or something for the next one. Uh, one that I looked up 
just by accident um was a book uh called it was a book about 1861 um that i that i think i'm going to check out anyway um just because it it looks um looked interesting to me and the reviews were really cool because it talks um about um people that were involved in one i think 1861 often gets overlooked because there's no antietam there's no gettysburg there's no Appomattox, you know, it's uh, other than uh, first Bull Run, first Manassas, there's not a huge amount of attention paid to it. So I think I'm going to check out uh, this book about 1861 called 1861, The Civil War Awakening by Adam Goodhart. Um, I might check that out my, next on my reading list along with whatever gets selected for the Rail Splitter Book Club, um, just because it's, it looks it looks interesting. I don't know if either of you have read it, but that one came across, uh, it is 500 pages, but um, it's definitely something I want to check out. Uh, well, that sounds very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I've come across one recently. I I don't know where I got into this, but I found like a list of a lot of like history professors who are on Twitter. So then I ended up like following a ton of these individuals. And a book that just recently came out that's getting a lot of circulation amongst them is The Field of Blood. Violence in Congress in a Road to Civil War. So I just um, bought that book. Yeah, it literally wow. just came out like this I week just or last week. So, um, kind of talking about you know how tense things were in Congress, uh, kind of lean up to the Civil War. Obviously, drawing some parallels with the Kavanaugh um, confirmation. Luckily, nobody got beat down with a cane, um, like happened uh, lean up to Civil War with Sumner, but. Um, yeah, it's been getting a lot of play on Twitter amongst uh, the historians that are out there. Um, and yeah, so. And dude, there's one historian. You guys follow like Kevin Krause, I think it is. I do, professor. yeah. Yeah. Dude, that guy is, you need to follow him, boys. So yeah. You don't, man. He just rails on people when they make historical yeah. mistakes. And his, have you read some of his threads recently, mm -hmm. Mary? I have, yeah. Oh, dude, it's awesome. <laughs> so he just takes uh Mitch McConnell to task over the whole um the Garland, you know, not holding the vote thing. Yeah. Oh, it was great. It was fantastic. He's a great follow on uh Twitter, so but yeah, I saw that one. So that would have been my backup if somebody had chosen mine. Yeah, uh that's written by Joanne Freeman, um, yeah. who's a professor at Yale. Um, which that enough is like, oh I should probably check that out. So uh, the Field of Blood, Violence in Congress, and the Road to the Civil War. Man, like titles, I feel like titles have improved. Books have always been pretty darn good. Yeah. But I feel like titles are much better now. Because that, man, what a title. The Field of Blood, Violence in Congress, and the Road to Civil War. Um, and the cover, uh, not great. that we could judge a book by a cover, but the cover is great. It's the like cover's a pretty political good. cartoon. Yeah, yeah of uh, one, one uh, assumed, I guess, uh, congressman punching out another. So um, my cue grows again yeah, with another book, uh, The Field of Blood. But um, these also, or these, these, these secondary choices are pretty good too. Uh, so maybe book club three might be pretty, pretty enjoyable. Uh, Mary, I may have taken your back up, but did you have any other ideas or at least anything you wanted to throw out there? Um, well, I was in looking at my bookshelves tonight, you know, thinking, okay, I need a backup and I eyed up, um, Stephen W. Sears is Lincoln's Lieutenants, the High Command of the Army of the Potomac. And I'm like, no way. That's 800 and something pages. 
like Sears is just so detailed, but it is on my to read list. And I really love studying Lincoln's relationship with the generals. And that's why I try and learn a lot about the generals just to, you know, it helps me understand Lincoln better and like why he made the decisions that he did. Um, but at 890, yeah, I think it's 896 pages. That's, that would be like a year long book club right there. I think. That's show content for us. Yeah. <laughs> How many pages yeah, is for sure. Berlin games? Uh, well, it's divided into two volumes. I'm looking at it now, but like, the, the pages, I mean, they matter, but like, you know, some books, like, yeah, 300 pages isn't the same 300 pages depending on the print and all that other mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so I don't know exactly. Let me tell. Well, I can look it up real quick, um, or I can just grab it off my shelf because I'm, I can, I'm looking at it right now. Um, I know the second volume is longer than the first. Uh, volume two uh, is. 1061 pages um but i would argue that that's like you know the deathly hollows is like 1200 pages but it's nowhere near as long as you know this book like it's it's all relative um so but yeah there's i know they're over 2 million words uh volume one is 967 pages Um, i say year three once we get in year three of this podcast, all we do is book club, Berlin game. Yep. <laughs> Every episode's about Berlin game. That's it. That's all it is. It'd be like 50 pages too. Um, well, no, it'd have to be like 400 pages still. Yeah. That's a lot. That's, so a, lot of... that's a lot of content. Here's the, right here's the two volumes. Yeah, wow. so I'm showing I'm, – I know you all, the podcast listeners can't see this, but I'm showing you the two volumes, which was a birthday gift, number eight years ago in case you were wondering um but so like you know that's that's you know yeah that's yeah that's yeah it's pretty tiny i'm I'm guessing maybe 10 point font um but yeah i need to make my way back through this i've read i've read every word of volume one and i about a quarter of the way through volume two um and that was before we started the show and I've kind of gotten away from it reading some other things, but, um, but yeah, it's really, I, I recommend if you're a collector of things, Lincoln, it's a really nice boxed set of books, but not one that you can really curl up with and read. Um, so I can, I also have the Kindle versions as well. Um, That's on my, Link, they, it's on my Lincoln bucket list of things that I need. That's yeah. What, that's going on my Christmas list this year. So it's oh, nice. going on mine too. And they've republished them in paperback form, and they're nice, mm-hmm. you know, pretty hefty paperbacks. But um, yeah, that hard that box set hardcover uh, version is uh, is pretty cool. So um, the Johns Hopkins University Press put it out. Um, but yeah, it's it's this is pricey, but it's it's more of a kind of bookshelf kind of thing. Not that you know if that's your bag i don't know so anyway uh so uh the, the three choices go ahead and go and vote on our twitter we're at uh rail splitter pod on twitter and instagram uh so check that out and vote uh, we'll get that posted right around the same time we post this episode uh 
we do have two weekly features that we do every week on the show, which the first one is of the people by the people where we talk about social media posts about Abraham Lincoln or anything really that seem to speak to us. What do we have for that this week? Well, I have one from Dr. Stacy and All right. I, I got it from Instagram and she's got a photo of Abraham Lincoln and he's holding a piece of pizza and there's like a pizza next to him and it says all men are created equal but not all pizza and it's in I think it's from Springfield Illinois because she's got hashtag Springfield Illinois in there but that just I saw that and I laughed when I saw it because she's always so great about posting something lighthearted, and she calls it her hashtag Lincoln lunacy um I always appreciate seeing that from her I, I do too that's brilliant uh I saw that exact uh post um I when I go to Springfield I always get we always get pizza from a place called Gabatoni's which is like a kind of like a dive bar-y old school type uh place so I don't I have not been to the whatever pizza place that one is but uh for having that on the wall it's definitely worth checking out so uh, we'll have to try to do a little bit of legwork and figure out what what pizza place that is down there all right i got mine i found on the twitter and it is a tweet from joe madison uh and he had basically deals with columbus day what do you think of this let's eliminate columbus day as a national holiday Instead, make Election Day a national holiday, close the banks, close the schools, and make it so that people can more easily make their voices heard at the polls, which I am a huge fan of, of making Election Day an actual holiday um, so people are so it's easier for more people to get there and vote. I think that would be great. I think it would send an important message to the youth of America, too, especially if educators take the chance to talk about why we have that day off. Um, so I'm all, I'm all on board, man. Let's make it happen. I could not agree more. I think that that's um, a great idea. Um, I think that it's, it's kind of silly. We're, you know, we always tell people who work where Nick and I work, like take us, you know, take the time that you need. Of course we have obligations to, um, you know, students and all that kind of stuff, but, um, you know, that's, that's a really interesting point. Um, I tried to really quickly look up what countries have election day as a national holiday. Um, and I don't, I'm not seeing a list. I'm sure we can find it for you. Um, I do know some countries do do that. Um, you know, and we know you don't want to be unfair, but like there's a lot of places in the service industry and all that kind of stuff who may not be included. People still need food and all that kind of stuff, but I think it's, it's a start um, for sure. And I also think that it's important that we build education around it because um, I've always said that I don't think young people know how to vote. And I don't mean they don't know for whom to vote. Like they literally don't know how to vote, um, how to get registered, where to go, uh, how to properly do everything. Um, and that's on us as educators. So um, that's that's a particular kind of in the same vein as what Nick was talking about. Um, priority of mine is making sure that uh, students who leave our school at least know the mechanics about around voting, um, what to do, how to do it, um, and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely important uh, turnout, at least around here and in the United States, is embarrassingly low. And that could help with it for sure. So, Nick, do we do this every 
November, November of Evis. Do we do it for municipal elections? Do we do it for primaries? It's a good question. Uh, you know, I will let my fellow uh, lawmakers who I voted into office uh, figure out these things. Uh, I don't know. That is an interesting question. Um, so I would like it to be like a yearly thing. You know what I mean? But you bring mm -hmm. up a lot of good points. <laughs> well, I think we should. I mean, I wasn't trying to be like a devil's advocate. No, um, I know. Um, I think at the very least, November of even numbered years, because, you know, all of Congress, a third of the or all of the House, a third of the Senate um, is up every single even number year and every other even numbered year is a presidential election. So um, I think that's important. I, you know, I know that some states, you know, our, our municipal elections are in April here in Illinois. Um, our governor elections are in the even numbered years. Uh, our governors in the midterm years always. So, um, but yeah, definitely, I think is important. Even a half day, something, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. get people to the polls. So I say anytime there's an election, a vote, it's a national holiday. I agree. Just because, so we have it off. Because voter, voter turnout's not great here in Canada either. And I think if, you know, people had the day that it might encourage people to go and vote. When is your like main election day in Canada? We do not have one. We don't have fixed election days. That was supposed to happen, but it hasn't yet. So like when, to, so like when, so does each province then handle its own, like at a certain mm -hmm. time or? Yep. Yeah. When we're electing our premiers, which are the equivalent to a governor, um, we elected ours back in He's been in power for 100 days and some of us call him Trump Jr. His name is, mm. uh, last name is Ford. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's the brother he's... of the Toronto mayor that caused all the oh, chaos a few years ago. Yeah, he's, he's our premier. I didn't vote for him. <laughs> but anyway, it was back in um, it was May. I went to the early polls for it and voted. Um, but yeah, there's no fixed election days um, at all. We're trying for it. It's basically, I think, every four years we we go. That is awesome. Yeah, and that I think Ford's brother is carrying on his legacy. Oh yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> Great, awesome. <laughs> well, I like the the holiday idea too because it actually serves a purpose. Like, what do, what do days off really? If we're like honoring someone especially from a education standpoint like we have no school on martin luther king day but like we could dedicate the day to him educationally service why you know with service project whatever um so like it, sometimes it seems a little you know by just closing things down it just turns into a three-day weekend um although i think labor day is important to have the day off there's a very specific reason for that um, but I think some of these like more history based uh, holidays, perhaps we could learn a little bit about um, whoever the person is that the day is off for. Um, Columbus Day, I think, is a monstrosity that needs to go away. Uh, we're literally celebrating uh, enslaver and a racist. I'm not okay with that, uh, which is why I call it Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah, that's what it should be. I agree there. And then, like, we always planned, like, these historical holidays, too, so it coincides with the weekend. Like, it would have more of an impact, like, if you got, like, Wednesday off and you had school 
before and then school after as far as an educational standpoint like hey why are we getting off in the middle of the week because the kids just clump it as oh cool big long holiday Mm -hmm. who cares why you know so yeah or like in september they're like all right memorial day like no that one's in may this one's labor day (laughs) oh okay cool (laughs) day off school so can i interject with something i just googled it and we actually are now having our elections every four years in October. Oh, nice. All right. Yep, I just Googled it. Because something I was like, oh, wait, no, I think we do have fixed election dates now. So yeah, October 2019, we will be going back to the polls to elect our new prime minister. Cool. Exciting. What we don't have is, um, we don't really have anything for number of terms they can be in power. I like it. Trudeau for life. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. yeah we, uh, other than the president, there's no term limits. Uh, there are a couple states, I think a couple governors, um, New Jersey. I know there's term limits. I think there's a couple others, um, but not in Illinois. Yeah, I got, I got another Canadian question here. Yep. Do, do you guys have beef with Saudi Arabia right now? Yes. Okay. Trudeau, well, I came out, I got like, pretty vocal against him am i correct on this yeah okay yeah. i like yeah. this is kind of sad because the wwe which this is also a joke is holding in a, a their second event in saudi arabia but like no females are allowed to participate on the card mm-hmm. so they're actually doing an all-woman's pay-per-view like in two weeks here but then like a week later they're going to saudi arabia again and bringing none of the ladies from the roster so although although with the whole journalists uh, incident that's taken place uh, that could end up getting canceled. So. Yeah, we there was a there was a tweet sent out from somebody here in Canada and the government saying you need to release the the fem- or the the journalist and yeah. Saudi Arabia got a little bit angry with us. So, so yeah, we've been having some issues with them. This is a totally off the air topic for what we're doing right here, but we're just giving the the listeners a little sneak peek into what we do. <laughs> Pre and post show some nights. So. That's right. You just can't turn this off. We, we, we require Mary to speak for the whole of Canada often. Yeah. The, the other thing that we do that's a little bit different from you guys is we do not elect our senators. What? They, we no, we don't. Yeah. They, they are appointed. Oh, they're appointed. See, ours used to be that way because Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. when he was running, <laughs> to bring this back to Lincoln, uh, the, the, the very famous Lincoln-Douglas debates, were really not for votes directly for either one of them. They were for um, votes because the state legislatures chose senators in those days, um, which that's a whole nother conversation about the Senate. The, and this just recently has uh, the recent Kavanaugh issues. Um, I saw a chart where the same number of people are represented by like 12 or 14 senators as Californians are represented by two senators. So like it's our, our country is disproportionately representative of smaller states. Um, so your vote actually counts more if you're in Montana than it does if you're in California by a lot because uh, they have two senators and California has two senators. So like if you combine all those small states, there's like 12 Republican senators that represent the same number of people th- that um, Kamala Harris and um, 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 Feinstein um, represent in California. So 
Yeah, ours have to, they, they're actually appointed by the governor general on the advice of the prime minister. They have to be 30 years old um, or more, have real property worth $4,000 free of mortgage and a net worth of at least $4,000. Amounts on change from when they were first enacted during Confederation in 1867 and reside in the province or territory for which they are appointed. And there's 105 members in our, sen in our Senate and they hold their seats until the age of 75. Wow. So depending on which government is in power, so if you have a conservative government and there's senators appointed, you're going to have more conservative senators. Mm -hmm. If you have a liberal government like we have right now, you're going to get more liberal senators. All right. That's crazy. Still beating us. <laughs> so, what are you talking right. about? We win. I'm getting sick of yeah. winning. Uh, yeah, you got that right. I'm getting sick of a lot of things. Um, anyway, that was a little glimpse into the rail splitter conversations. Uh, so sorry for the lack of Lincoln talk, but anyway, it's important that you all get to know us a little bit too. Um, and you know, everybody's favorite rail splitter included. So, uh, so get out there and vote for book club number two, and then we'll announce the winner, I guess next week on the show and then uh, give a date for the first installment of book club two, uh, which will still be several weeks out just because we want to give folks enough time to read a quarter or a third or whatever we end up deciding of the book for the first round of discussions for Railswater book club two. So no rush, no rush to the locally owned bookstore or wherever you get your books from once we do the voting. Um, so we are just kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit um, so that we can get this done, but. Please go out and vote and join the Facebook group and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we do have a This Week in Lincoln. Um, I'll just go back to my list here of really cool Lincoln stuff that I saw in Springfield. Uh, we have one of uh, the Abraham Lincoln's name using the font from the Stranger Things uh, TV show on Netflix, um, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, so you can get a t-shirt that says Abraham Lincoln written in the font of Stranger Things, uh, which is pretty cool 80s set TV show. Um, and the title of the shirt is Stranger Abes. So there you go. That's awesome. Abraham Lincoln. So I'll, I'll tweet that out as well. So uh, Stranger Abes this week in Lincoln this week. You could also probably include the pizza thing because that's very much a this week in Lincoln candidate as well so uh thanks for listening hopefully uh you found a book recommendation if nothing else um if you if you want to participate in the book club or not please go ahead and vote on that uh and for rail splitter mary and rail splitter nick i am rail splitter jeremy reminding you to continue to walk the world with malice toward none and charity for all and we'll see you next week